Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Allow me to introduce you to Madame Rastel by Jennifer Wright. Out now from Hachette Books. Madame Rastel is a sharp, witty, gilded age medical history which introduces us to an iconic yet tragically overlooked feminist heroine, a glamorous women's healthcare provider in Manhattan known to the world as Madame Rastel. A celebrity in her day with a flair for high fashion and public petty beefs, Rastel was a self-made woman and a single mother who used her wit, her compassion, and her knowledge of family medicine to become one of the most in-demand medical workers in New York. Before the 19th century, abortion and birth control were not only legal in the United States, but fairly common. And public health care needs for women and men alike were largely handled by midwives and female healers. However, after the birth of the clinic, newly minted MDs, newly minted male MDs wanted to push women out of their space by forcing women back into the home and turning medicine into a standardized male-only practice. By unraveling the misogynistic and misleading lives that put women's health in jeopardy, Wright simultaneously restores Ristel to her rightful place in history and obliterates the faulty, fractured reasoning underlying the very foundation of what has since been dubbed the thought-provoking, character-driven, and funny and feminist as all hell. Madame Ristel is required reading for anyone and everyone who believes that when it comes to women's rights, women's bodies, and women's history, women should have the last word. Pick up your copy of Madame Rustel, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Old New York's Most Fabulous, Fearless, and Infamous Abortionist by Jennifer Wright, out now from Hachette Books. I am Renee, and I am here with... And uh, today we are talking about Your Driver is Waiting by Priya Guns, and this just came out from Doubleday, and we have... I have some big thoughts and feelings on it, and I am curious to hear. We haven't talked to each other at all about this book, other than we wanted to talk to each other about this book. So you're getting our freshest impressions right now. So, well, my impression's a little stale because <laughs> I read it like six weeks ago, but I kept all my flags. And I just went back through my flags because I read I it like a, a week ago. It's you take the best notes. You are so much better at this than I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, just different approaches, not one better than the other. So overall, your driver is waiting. Let's give you all a little intro. In this electrifyingly fierce and funny social satire, a gender-flipped reboot of the iconic 1970s film Taxi Driver, a rideshare driver is barely holding it together on the hunt for love, dignity, and financial security until she decides she's done waiting. So it was the gender-flipped reboot of Taxi Driver that really got me. How about you? Yeah, same. I realized when I started reading this that it has been a long time since I've seen Taxi Driver. So I ended up watching it last weekend. (laughs) I don't even know if I've seen it, but I TA'd a couple of film courses in college, and that was always referenced as Pinnacle Scorsese. And so I watched it, and first off, super not my cup of tea. Secondly. An interesting source material to queer gender flip. And I just think it made the story so much more interesting to have this brown queer woman at the center. Oh, 100%. 
I did not watch it again, but I did read the Wikipedia article, which students around the world know is the equivalent. Um, you have a PhD now, yes. I do. Yes. I do. <laughs> I guess maybe I just don't care that much about the original character's perspective. Mm-hmm. I like this this character's perspective more. And I thought it brought an entirely different angle to it. Yeah. So in this book and in the film, what's similar is you basically, not a whole lot happens. You basically ride around in this taxi or rideshare car. And the way the book is told is very cinematic in the same way that the film obviously is, and that you're just seeing the world go on around you and kind of all the vice and all of the happenings and there's prostitution and there's drugs and there's violence and yet there's also something really endearing about the world the main character whether it be robert de niro's character or our main character and your driver is waiting damani you're just a passenger in this vehicle and that the world building is so interesting and both the taxi driver and your driver is waiting I like it better and your driver is waiting. And one of the things I think is so interesting is we are never told a location. We have no idea where in the world we are. I was going to say that distracted me. Really? Really? Say more about that. Well, I kept trying to figure it out. My brain kept trying to figure it out and was like picking up on spellings and vocabulary to try to to suss it out. And I realized pretty early on it wasn't the United States, but I couldn't figure out where it was. Is this place that had like a fair amount of diversity, but also like a lot of white people. Now I'm not going to be able to find why I knew it wasn't the United (laughs) States, but there were a couple of like things that were like measurements or something. And the author is Sri Lanka. Yeah. It's so interesting that you don't know. We're not told. Yeah. Yeah. And I really liked that because that when you're not told such a vital piece of information, you fill it in. Yeah. And so it's interesting to me to hear, you know, I was like in Berkeley, California, you think somewhere in Canada, and it doesn't matter. Maybe. I think we get much more detail in this book than we do in the movie Taxi Driver mm-hmm. because you get more time with a character over the course of 300 pages or so to get to know the character and I really like this character. I find her really gritty and honest and flawed in all the best ways. And there's a moment where she shaves, she's like flexing in the mirror and she shaves her head and then dyes the the remaining hair, bleaches it. It's reminiscent of the scene in Taxi Driver where he says, you talking to me? Are you talking to me? (laughs) I didn't realize that's where that came from. But I mean, that's what she's trying to do in this scene. It's a callback to that scene in that film. I just thought this character, she has such a big heart and wants to do the right thing, but often does not. Did you yeah. like her? I did like her. I liked I liked how like brutish she was. Mm. She's not a character I've read before, first mm-hmm. of all. But she was really sort of, I almost like I could feel like, oh, she probably like, is just a little sweaty and like doesn't smell very good all the time. Mm-hmm. And like she has just a really like very crude way of looking at things and describing things. Like at one point in time, she says, after six months of my workout routine, I was addicted to feeling like a throbbing clip. And I was like, spoke on off guard by so much of the language used. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it, in, 
she really defied sort of gendered expectations of like any other female character, which I appreciated and and didn't necessarily expect in the way that it was presented to me. I have to call out another line that just made me similar. It just caught me off guard. Near the end, she says, I, I think she's being pulled over. And she says about the person pulling her over. I wanted to bite his nose off. I wanted to make him dinner at his home, light light him a cigar, and then shit in his toilet. I wanted to feed him my shit for dessert. What? Yeah. She's just like, like, there's so much violence inside of her. Yeah. Um, And it comes out in her speech. It's always in a way that you don't expect or haven't seen portrayed before. Yeah. She's a really singular character. And at the same time, there's a softness. I tabbed a bunch of surprising lines that caught me off guard. So her love interest in this, her name is Jolene. She says, Jolene smiled, and in her smile was tomorrow, three months from now, and an infinity swimming in a lake by a summer house. I stood up and held her hand. Yeah. And then another time, she says, her smile was soft and flirtatious, the freckles on her nose perfect. I wanted to pierce her nostril with a nail. (laughs) The fuck does that mean? I love it. (laughs) Yeah, and there was another line, her mother's very ill. And there was a a point later in the book where her mother sort of like surfaced a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And she fed Damani. And Damani says, it's known amongst my people that food tastes the best when your mother feeds you. And there's just like this sweet, like tender moment Mm -hmm. where she's no longer having to be the responsible person or the caretaker for her mother. Her mother like takes that back on again for a moment mm-hmm. and treats her like her child. Which is what she's almost been searching for. Mm-hmm. There's another character, one of her regulars that she picks up every morning, yeah. Patrice. She uh, picks her up for bingo every morning, drops her off of bingo and, and then picks her back up. And she witnesses Patrice find love. So she goes out on a date with a guy that smells like garlic and and it's so charming and and Damani, our main character, is so warm and protective of this older woman that you can tell there everything she does comes from a good place. She's just really lost right now. She's broke. She's in a world that hates her. She's a brown woman and she is queer and she's looking for these moments of softness and she's not finding it. And so it feels to me that because she's not finding it, she's hardening herself both literally and figuratively. She's shutting people out. She's working all night with insomnia and she's beating her body up with these weights and going extra hard, lifting heavy things, which, you know, I do appreciate. That's something that we see. We don't get that workout montage for women, especially. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. And on top of all of it, the world is still happening around her. And one of the things, I found so fascinating is a callback to the film is there's this presidential campaign and all of these like presidential rallies happening around New York that our main character, you know, is driving to or is obsessed with or what have you. And the kind of corollary in the, in the book is that there are all these p- protests and the reader is meant to read into it what you will, a lot of Black Lives Matter protests, a lot of water is life protests, police brutality, all of these things are kind of culminated into one big protest movement where, again, you can read what you want into it or nothing at all. Yeah, she sometimes calls out their hypocrisy. Yeah. And she sometimes wishes she could join. Yes. She's definitely an outsider looking in. And it creates this 
there's just this hum of discontent in the world around her as well. Like she's very clearly not a happy person (laughs) and the world around her isn't happy either. Yeah. There were a number of like really interesting themes that ran through this book that feel really tight. You know, I mean, there's a lot of discussion of like poverty and and class issues like between her and Jolene. Jolene is very, very, very wealthy. Mm-hmm. There's, oh my gosh, Jolene's white feminism. Oh Ooh. God, it's so well done. Ooh. Yes. I even wrote, perfect. one of the few notes that I wrote was... <laughs> White for white fragility as written by a woman of color is so uncomfortable and painful to read because it is so honest. Yeah. It's her her perspective on it is incisive. And just like everything else that Damani does, there's no artifice around it. She's totally seeing what's happening, even if the way that she then describes it is like shocking. You know, there's performative social justice. So good. It's so it's, well done. And then and then there are these little tiny like little nuggets that don't really have anything really to do with anything else. Like the way she treats food is amazing. Like it made me hungry. I had to look up. She makes Bombay toast, I think it is, which was like a like a savory, spicy French toast. Ooh. And I was like, oh yeah. my gosh, I want I want her to make me some food. Sounds so good. <laughs> Those are the moments where she's craving comfort. Right. And she I think one of the, there's, it comes back a couple of times where she really wants these chocolate covered almonds and she can't afford it. And her mom happens to have them later on in the book. And she's like, how did she know? And I think those chocolate covered almonds, you can read so much symbolism into every little tiny thing. It's almost like, I I would love to go through line by line with a, you know, college professor or something and be like, what does this symbolize? What is this? What is this? But everything about this book snuck up on me. I really, I think I had told you, based on premise alone, yeah, I'll read this and we can record something about it. And when I started it, I was like, I don't know what I've done. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I have anything to say about it. I'm bored. Yeah. And then once I realized what what this book was, what it was about, who the character was, the, the style of the writing, you know, every chapter is only like two or three pages. So it goes super quickly. And it's always... It's it's fresh every chapter. Once I got into kind of the rhythm of it and understood the character, it was it was a runaway train. I read I read probably the first thirty pages over the course of like a week and was bored. And then the rest of it, I think I read in one sitting. Yeah, I think one of the things that makes this book like a little challenging is that there's not like one. And I would not have wanted to write the synopsis for this. There's not like one main plot. Right. There's like five concurrent plots, none of which are like the B plot. Yeah. But then it all converges at the end with this big event that I don't want to spoil for anybody. But it really brings to bear the magnitude of the consequences of white feminism. And and just how you can't even explain that to somebody who has perpetrated it. Yes. Because you will talk yourself blue and they will still not hear what you're saying. Yeah, it is incredibly well done. At, I mean, like you said, all of these simultaneous plot points come together in the end. And 
I found it so satisfying. It is very much a character-driven novel, and yet the conclusion of the plot (laughs) is incredibly satisfying. I Yeah, this book is a live wire. I was not expecting it. Yeah. It it was one of those books that when I finished it, I was like, I need to know everything that I can know about the author. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot about her on the internet. And there's almost nothing. Yeah. Which makes her even more of an enigma. I really enjoyed it once I figured once I figured it out, once it produced itself to me, and it doesn't do it right away. It's pretty slow and, and quiet at first. The way that she describes the sex to me felt like really, like it really puts you in the moment. It was honest. It yeah. wasn't, it didn't sugarcoat anything. Right. It was like watching Animal Planet versus watching... Sexual and romantic. Yeah. 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 It was Animal Planet versus Hallmark. That's what it was. Absolutely. That's what it is. That is the perfect way to describe it. I agree. And I think it's... Yeah, definitely don't get this for your mom or your aunt or... I don't know your mom or your aunt. I mean, they might be into it. I mean, if I'm your aunt, yes, get it for me. It's definitely... I think our audience likes this kind of book Ugh. it's political it's irreverent it's funny it's dark if you've ever been to therapy i feel like <laughs> you would like this that should be the blurb on the front if you've You're ever welcome. been to therapy wake you weighing blurbs it on the front it says and she says a ferocious new voice and i agree this is a fierce book it's yeah it is unlike anything i've read before and i'm always and i read a fuck ton and so when i read something that feels new and interesting i get real excited about it this definitely is that yeah it's definitely that yeah there's a i've never i've never read a book a book with a character like this at all yeah not not a book with a character like this that was a man not a book with a character like this that was a woman i've just never read a character like this yeah and and she was really interesting I don't think there's much more to say than that. I mean, she was interesting and I really like her. And I don't know if I would ever be her friend in real life. Nope. I don't want to be friends with her, but But I wouldn't mind if she was my driver. Now, and I, and because I think the stories would be interesting and the way she handles her passengers is really cool. And uh, all the weapons she has hidden is interesting. The other thing, she (laughs) was just kind of dark and real, like realistic. Like, I don't know. Yeah. There's one thing that doesn't tie into really anything else, but I appreciated the way the author approached it, which is that you find out early on that Damani's father has died. And the the slow unfolding of that story over the book was really, I thought, a really way to approach it because as an outsider, you wouldn't get all that information right away. But as you're watching her interact with people and friends and her family and thinking about things that she's experienced and things that are important to her, you get little pieces of that story each time. And so you you don't really find out what happened to him until like two-thirds of the way through the book. It is one of like the bigger pieces of grief that she's holding. I think it's a masterclass in character development. Yeah. Yeah. It's it really, really is. Really well done. I don't know what I rated this on my little bookie app on <laughs> Story Grab, but I'm sure it's at least a four, if not... Four and a half or five, because I just, the more I talk about it, the more I think about it. It's one of those you have to sit on for a little bit and be like, what the fuck did I just read? Yeah. The more I really enjoy it. Yeah. Well, that's all I have to say about it. I'm glad Same. you read it. 
Yeah, me too. I'm glad I stuck with it after those first you know, 30 or so pages where I was just like, what the hell? Yeah, it was so good. Well, thanks for thanks for gushing about it with me. Oh my gosh, thank you. This is a, definitely a book I wanted to talk to somebody about. So <laughs> glad, I'm glad we did this. Nail Partners, Inc. is a Black-owned commercial real estate, urban planning, and community engagement firm based in St. Paul, Minnesota. We believe in developing generative results in the community while addressing the pressing challenges facing urban-built environments. Our work and belief system is rooted in applied empathy and putting people first. Our approach delivers thoughtful, human-centered solutions for clients and cultivates sustainable relationships. We make a conscious effort to hire local residents as community liaisons, staff, and consultants to support engagement in local communities. We hire local talent as interns and have developed an artist-in-residence program in order to build up young and upcoming professionals within our community. We are currently hiring for our summer intern program. We provide real estate development and business technical assistance to small business owners, entrepreneurs, and companies that share our values. So if you're a business owner looking to do things the right way the first time, it's time to do things the NAO way. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature, creature, oh.